Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Appreciate that. You can turn to uh, the passage upon which our message is based today um, in Mark. We're in, still in this series on Mark, looking at looking at uh, Mark's biography of Christ, which we, which we uh, sort of illustrate, the metaphor we're using is sort of the uh, snapshots, uh, an album of small vignettes, small little um, uh, incidences, scenes in the life of Christ, which as we look at them, we discover more about who he is and what he, a full orb sense, a pi- as it were, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words, uh, that we can gain more from the description of the scene about who Christ is and what he's done for us and, and what impact he means to have on our world than through um, countless uh, textbooks. So M- Mark gives us life uh, life depictions, uh, these little pictures, selfies, as it were, of the, of the work of Christ. And we're going to start reading at the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 today, looking at uh, this next section. Follow along, starting at verse 23, and I'll read it, and you can be following along. So let's look at God's Word. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is, it lawful, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked, round, he looked around at them and with anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to them, man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. Thank you for your word, which we can see and absorb, that it gives us a lasting, lingering a reliable source of who you are and what, what our only hope is. Father, I pray that you would uh, captivate us by its truth and its grace, that you would yield our hearts to it, that we would, that, Lord, if, if things seem uncertain, Lord, that what we would do by, that by this process is question more our, 
our sense of uh, ourselves and our, and our accurate understanding, our own calibration, than to, than to question you, to question your word. Lord, do that in, uh, in your providence and in your grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, they had the, the, uh, the newspaper, when you read newspapers, um, was, would come out um, each day uh, that I recall. They would come out in the, in the comic section. Of course, I would try to get to the comic section before my dad got to the paper, but then I'd have to make it, put it back exactly so that when he got it, it, he, it was undisturbed. Um, and the, the creases were right and the folds were right. Not that my dad was in any, in any stretch. It wasn't, it wasn't as if I was nervous or that there would be consequences. It's just that he liked to read his paper first, but I liked to read the comics first. And so I would get the comics. And in the, in the comics section, I read a couple of them, but mostly there was the section at the bottom that, had, that was, an, it was an artist rendering of some cartoon picture, two of them, and they looked identical. But you were supposed to find the differences between the two. The two pictures, you know, would be like of a turtle walking and a, and a rabbit chasing in a, in, a, in, a, in a forest or something. And the two pictures would be that way. And, and you'd have to find the many ways that they were different. And so sometimes maybe the socks that were on the rabbit had two stripes and one had three. Or maybe there was a, or maybe there was a watch being worn by one character that wasn't worn in the other one. And then there was maybe a plant that had four leaves as opposed to five in the next picture. And so the cool thing was to be able to look at the two pictures and be able to see, to contrast and, and compare them in order to see uh, what, what the similarities and differences are. And I, I think they probably still have some of that going on now. I was going to ask Becky if we've done that, if we've gotten stuff like that for our grandkids, and probably we have, and probably much mo more modern. They've actually got pictures, and you see the way that we've ad adapted them digitally in some fashion. The, wonderful, the, thing about, the thing about Mark's pictures is in this particular scene, he puts up two pictures with great similarity uh, Two pictures of Jesus interacting with people on the Sabbath and dealing with, dealing with the people in his life on the, the Lord's day on the, or on, on the Sabbath, on, on, the, on their religious day, on their, on their day of worship, and saying, okay, what, what do we see? What are, we, what are the comparisons and the differences between these two ideas? What is Jesus, what is Mark trying to help us understand. And what he's, what he's under, helping us understand by comparing these two ideas is, is helping us to see that Jesus wants us, what he was attempting to do in his ministry is compare and contrast Christianity with the ruling religious ideas of the day. He was comparing gospel Christianity. Jesus wanted to. He, was, he wanted to contrast and compare gospel Christianity with religion. And we might think, you know, Christianity is a religion, and Jesus, wanted, Jesus is, is very clear, and the Scriptures are very clear. Um, Christianity and the gospel are not in any way a religion. And he wants us to understand the difference between a faithful connection with God the Father through Christ which is Christianity, and religion, which is representative in the pictures in the life of the Pharisees and even in the pages of Scripture throughout. And he, and he helps us to see starkly those comparative 
processes, those the stark differences between religion and Christianity. Well, it's something that strikes me. Uh, you know, Becky and I occasionally will watch something that is sort of a reality program. You know, they're, they're all sort of the rage. You know, I'm, I'm not sure you can, they're ubiquitous. I'm not sure you can run into watching anything without watching some sort of reality program. And, I, and what I mean by that is we watch like a, like a cooking competition, you know, there are competition programs and, and uh, talent programs. I mean, these are all what I mean by reality. And then there's actually sort of reality things that, that relate to, you know, culture, some, some other, you know, uh, Show. I mean, not not quite as drawn to you know, different shows about families or about or about uh, people in a region or something like that. But but we, we get into the contestant shows and and uh, and one thing that we one thing that's sort of interesting is when you watch some of these reality programs and you you see what's presented on the the half hour or the hour long depiction. You go you know of what it is. You go. Do the people who are in it, do they notice what they look like on the actual episode? I mean, do you ever, do you ever think about that when you're watching maybe some of these? Because usually what, the way it's edited or the way that it's presented is, depending upon what they're trying to do on a cooking program or what they're trying to do on a, on a, you know, on a, uh, on a talent program, is that they'll sometimes... Some of the portrayals of the people and the contestants are not very flattering. You ever notice that? And you go, I mean, is that what happens when you sign your name on the line? I want to be on the, I want to be the contestant that's on this thing, and I want to be the cook that I think I'm a good cook, and I think I know how to do these things, and and then you know do the testimonials and do the you know do the the competition and and live my life on television for the world to see and then you and you sign on that dotted line and, you, and I want to win ten thousand dollars you know and then when it comes out you go eek did they know that was going to come out did they know that they were going to be look that sort of unflattering and that makes me you know um, years ago there was a program on uh, on the music television MTV years ago um, called um, now I can't think of the name of it. I have a friend whose brother was on this program. Real, real world, MTV Real World. Okay, I am shaking heads in here. Who know? And the, what that was was one of those programs. And we and I watched that a little bit when we were in college. And 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 uh, you, um, it showed people's lives as they interacted in a space, roommates doing things. And and usually one of the people in there was the worst of all roommates, but they the portrayal of these people was just so horrific. And you go, did they intend that going in? The reason I mention that is because when you look at these two pictures, these two snapshots in the life of Christ, Jesus is interacting with a lot of people in these instances. And there's the religious people of his day the religious, the religious leaders of his day are also interacting here, and I don't know if you I don't know if you notice this when you're reading it, but if they could they have imagined how how um, unflattering their image is in this snapshot? 
Did they expect it to did they expect to look this unflattering? When you look at this picture and you see the disciples following Jesus in a field, spending the day, you know, after church presumably, walking through a field together, Jesus teaching them, and they're and they're grabbing the ears of corn and and taking getting a snack while they're walking through the field. And then along come the religious leaders going, you know you shouldn't be doing that. What are you doing that for? You know it's not, you know it's not lawful to do that on, on, the, on, the, on the Sabbath. And then the next picture is the next Sunday he's in church and there's a man in church with a hand that is ill-formed and, un, and probably he was unable to work because of his ill-formedness and because he was viewed in some capacity. And Jesus has him stand up in the middle of the church as if to say, you know, what, you know uh, would you like to be healed? And then there's these, the religious leaders are looking for a chance to scrutinize, and they're going, I don't know if this is, do you, do they, do you imagine that they, that these religious people thought they would come off looking as, as bitter and scrutinizing and dark and angry as they actually came off looking? I don't think religion, I don't think they think religion was going to make them look that way. I think they think religion was going to make them better people. Religion always promises that you're going to be a better person, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that the whole point of religion? No matter what the religion is across the time and space, I mean, religion, as it were, is always trying to make the world better, trying to fix what is broken, trying to find a way to make a connection with God. That's, that's what religion's all about, right? And real quick, let me, let me give you a quick definition, a quick, so that we're not, uh, I'm going to go into some of the, some of the contrast that Jesus is presenting here, but let me give you a quick di uh, distinction between religion and Christianity and why Christianity is not a religion. It's a faith. Why the gospel is not religion. Here's a quick, a quick one. Religion is man's attempt to do everything he can in order to make his way to a connection with God. Christianity is God doing everything he can to restore a connection with man that was broken. Religion is me reaching up as high as I can with all of my might, with all of my ability, with all of my powers in order to find my way to connect with God who is distant from me. Christianity, the gospel, is the exact opposite of that. It is not man's ability to reach up. It is God's sovereign ability to reach down. And to grasp hold of man in his broken condition and welcome him into himself, restoring him back to that connection. That's the difference. And that's what we see, that's what we see in the life of Jesus, the very person of Jesus, walking through here. I think part of the problem, part of the reason, you know, one of, one of the contrasts that you see here is, is that religion... Uh, religion turns people turns people into people who are who have who have who are so focused on the trees they've lost sight of the forest. So scrupulous on the details of of getting it right, of doing it right. And here's the thing about religion: if 
Why are they so scrupulous? Why are they so detailed? Why are they so concerned about getting it right? Because in religion, you have to get it right. If you don't get it right, you're going to go to hell. If you don't get it right, you're going to ruin everything. If you don't get it right, if you're not perfect, if you're not getting the details, the reason that religion makes us about the details is because you have to. You have to be overly committed to that. You, it, there, because you miss one thing. You miss one thing and it's all ruined. That's the nature of religion. It's perfect. You have to be perfect. And so there's a sense where living consistently, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, are, there's a sense where they're, the reason they're so scrupulous in some respects is because they care that people have a connection with God, that they care that people find their way to God. And as they understood it, the only way that you could find your way to God and, and have eternal life or to make the world a better place is to be good is to follow the law and to do and to follow it scrupulously the thing is you do that a lot where where it leads where it leads it turns you into a person who is so so focused on the law and you lose sight of people so focused on the doing, so focused on the achieving, so focused on the mechanical, so focused on the rightness, you lose sight of the people. And here, the Pharisees, they lost sight of the people. People who are hungry, people who are in leisure, people, the disciples, people who are in connection with each other and with Jesus, they lost sight of that moment. They lost sight of the the. The, the, the food element. They lost sight of the, the nourishing element of what was going on in that moment. And even Jesus points out to them and says, David did this. You're a great king. You, the, the best example of what it is to live by the law, live by your system. He didn't really live by that system. But even he, look at your great king, the perfect, wonderful David. It, look at him. He understood the nature of what this was about because when he was with his men walking through the field and they got hungry, the only resources they had was the, was the divine showbread, the divine showbread in the tabernacle. And it was only allowed, the priests were the only ones allowed to eat that bread. And he says when they were in need, they went in and they ate that bread because, it was, because they knew that it wasn't, it wasn't about getting it right it was about the nourishment of what Christ was providing through the work of Jesus. They lost sight of, on the next Sabbath, excuse me, they were so concerned to see if Jesus, they, they came to church looking, looking for a way to slip him up. Isn't it interesting how religion turns you into people who can find fault with perfection? Here it is, perfection, walking the earth, the very embodiment of what it means to live, live scrupulously, divinely, and accurately against what, you know, in line with what God requires. Here he is, walking the face of the earth, and even the people who are all about perfection and getting it right can't see rightness in front of their face. Lose, lost sight of the forest for the trees. 
lost sight of a man in need. And they're more concerned about what, you know, here's a man in need, here's a man who's got, who's got a deformity, and they're like, well, you know, maybe we can wait till tomorrow to fix it. Should have done it, should have, or probably should have done it yesterday. Can't do it today. Religion, getting it, having to get it right, living by a system of connecting with God through my achievement rather than what I receive from Him by His grace turns me into a person who is more concerned about, about splitting the atom of correctness than it is about the needs and love and grace to a human being in, in, that is struggling. The gospel, on the other hand, you know, the gospel, on the other hand, humbles us. What Christianity says is, you can't keep the law. You've got all these laws you've had for, for centuries, for millennia. You've had these laws for generations. And the, and the thing about the law, and, and the law that he's talking about here was one of the, you know, it, it really wasn't, but let me put it in, in, in kind of casual terms. It's one of the bigs. It's one of the big ten. Fourth commandment. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And they had all kinds of ways. Okay, so, we, so the Lord said when he gave the ten commandments, he said, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy unto me as a day of rest and, and a, a number of things. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were, we got to make sure people understand what he meant by holy and what he meant by rest. And what God meant by keeping it as a day under the Lord. And so they had dozens and dozens and dozens of ways of scrupulosities about how to make sure. Now, when we say honor, what we really mean is. And when we say rest, what we really mean is. And rest, we're talking about rest. So if you're walking through a field and you, and you get hungry, there'll be, no, there'll be no picking because that's a job. There'll be no picking of corn. Because jobs happen on Saturday, Monday to Saturday, Monday to Sunday to Friday, in terms of how they keep the, keep the calendar. So there's no picking. There's no jobs. There's no work. So no work. Don't do that. Jesus is drawing upon, using it as an example upon, as it were, one of the bigs, the Ten Commandments, not really one of the bigs, because it's all, the law is the same. And what the gospel says is, what Christianity says is, when it comes to the law, you can't do it. That's why the gospel, that's why the gospel of Christ humbles us. It humbles us to realize I, all the scrutiny, all the effort, all the ability I have to try to keep the law, I only discover more and more how I can't. And that makes me utterly devastated. What am I going to do? And Christianity says, you can't do anything. You can't achieve anything. But you can, Christianity says, you can receive rightness. You can be right by receiving righteousness, by by receiving the work of Christ's perfection on your behalf. And when I receive that, because the law humbles me and because the gospel gives to me something I don't deserve, that 
thrills my heart and empowers my heart so desperately that I just want to live so devoted to Him in whatever capacity I can. And, I'm, and I would just want to, now the law of love becomes so powerful in my life because He loved me enough to give me His life and to give me His perfection and to say, you can't ruin it. Now go live boldly and see the tree, see the forest and see the people. The gospel humbles me because I can't keep it, but then the gospel empowers me because I'm given a righteousness I can't, I can't earn on my own, but a perfection that he gives me and that can't be ruined by any of, my, any of my failings. And now it allows me then to see with love the broader trajectory of what the law was meant to do. What what the law of the Sabbath was all about. What, is the, what was the law of the Sabbath all about? Why did God say, rest? Why did God say, take a day and, and devote to me? Why? Because, because, it was, because he's, valuing the, he's valuing the importance of rest and the importance of surrender to him and the importance of recalibrating all of my life, including my time and its use in terms of the days and my, and my activities, with him being the center of my world and being a being appropriately connected to that sent him the center, he, which is what he's telling the Pharisees in the first story. And partly, I think, what got them a little edgy. He says, he says to the Pharisees, you've lost sight of what the Sabbath was all about. You think, you think man was made in order to mechanically follow the law about the Sabbath? No, its intent, the Sabbath's intent was to be for man, was to improve man, to bring restoration, was to bring healing, was to bring transformation to the human soul out of rest. That's what you've lost sight of. As a matter of fact, not only have you lost sight of what the Sabbath was about and why, why it's important, and you're using it to bludgeon people now. That's what religion does. You've lost sight of who's standing in front of you. You're not the Lord of the Sabbath. Lording it over everybody with your over-scrutinization of what people do or don't do and, and how they, if they don't do a particular thing, they're going to lose it all. You're not the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I know what it's about. I know what it was all about. And it isn't about not eating while you're walking and enjoying a moment with each other. It's, not, it's also not, not about the day of the week that you, that you bring healing and restoration because what better thing to do on the Sabbath, which is all about healing, rest, restoration, renewal, than to heal and rest and renew something that needs to be healed, rested, and renewed. Religion loses sight of that in its overscrupulosity. It's all about, religion's all about hard work, never-ending hard work. Keep at it. Get on the treadmill and keep running. What's the, there's an old uh, Puritan um, poem that says, a little ditty that says, Run and work the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. 
A sweeter song the gospel sings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Interesting little ditty that Jesus is displaying in this picture. Demand, scrupulous, and it makes them into bitter people. Look, look at so bitter, so fatigued with their need to get it right. And, and whenever, whenever humanity falls into the need to get it right, it always goes down this road. It always goes down the road, whether you know Jesus or, or not. And there's, a lot of, and there's a lot of American Christianity that looks, there's a lot of American Christianity, I put in quotes, that, that uses the name Christ, but, come, but actually is being presented and lived as a religion. And the way we know that is because Jesus says, by their fruit you'll know. So is it turning people into older brothers that, are, that, that can't celebrate when a, when a sinner comes home, gets forgiveness that he doesn't deserve? Is the fruit that results in, a, in an experience's life that they become angry and overly committed to making sure things are accurate and perfect, losing sight of people and desires? Even in this situation, in these two pictures, here's the thing. These guys go to church, go to church on Sunday, or, you know, the Lord's Day, which was, or, or the Sabbath, which was on Saturday. They're looking in church. They're looking for a way to find something wrong with Jesus. They can't see the man who's got a malady that needs to be healed. Jesus heals it, and then they leave church, and what do they do? The same people that were so concerned about the law in your life aren't concerned about the law now in their own lives because here's what they're doing. It says that they sought a way with the political group, the Herodians. They, they sought to connect. They sought to get in bed with their religion, with politics, in order to kill Jesus. This is what religion does. And you go, did they get what they look like? On the outside, a Pharisee. On the outside, religious people look amazing. They look beautiful. They look got it together. They look, they look moral. They look upstanding. They look like they've got integrity. They look, they look like, I mean, you really would want them as neighbors because they have great lawns and they'd be wonderfully, wonderfully polite. <laughs> but then inside their hearts... The demands, the harshness, the bitterness, and then evil intent, murderous intent. Finding ways to team up with whoever they can to bring harm, to bring violence against Christ himself. This is what religion does, and this is what Mark wants us to see the distinction. This is what Jesus was constantly drawing our, their attention to and drawing our attention to. Don't be fooled by religion it cannot save you, and it will only ever turn you into a worse person than you were when you got it. But the gospel, because the gospel shows us 
because the gospel, because of what Christ presents, shows us the human's inability to accomplish what the law demands and puts us in need of salvation, puts us in need of rescue, puts us in need of an honest... See, religion doesn't make you honest. Religion makes you dishonest. Religion makes you blind to the, to the dishonesty in your human heart. Religion in the lives of the Pharisees made them blind to their murderous intent. I'm sure they thought it was perfectly fine to utilize whatever means was possible in order to bring down and condemn another human being for his kindness. Religion always turns us, it makes us blind to our to our. To, to large segments of our lives and makes us dishonest because the reason it makes us dishonest is I, I, I can't be guilty of something. Religion is so much about perfection and religion and, and, and moralism and legalism and Phariseeism. All these things are the same thing. Because there's so much about getting it right, and making sure I don't do anything wrong, I can't be guilty of anything. So I, can't, so I don't really look at my life with a fine-tooth comb. I don't, I don't really examine it in the dark places. I don't see the little, the little speck of mold that's back there in the corner. Under, I don't really go to that much scrutiny because if I find it, it's going to really demoralize me because I, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm wreck my system. The gospel, however, makes you amazingly honest because the gospel says your ability to keep the law or not keep the law or do right or not do right isn't the most, isn't the most powerful change, isn't the most... Um, you can see religion or Christianity, because we're saved by the grace of God, because we're saved by the work of Jesus' perfection on my behalf, now I can look honestly at my life and not be condemned by what I see. Because Jesus says, I saw it all when I went there. I saw it all in you. I know all about the little specks of mold and the little cracks here and there, and I know about your blind spots, and I know about your, the things that you do uh, willfully and, that you, and the things that you do carelessly. I know all about it, and I still loved you and died for you and forgave you and cleansed you of all that and gave you a righteousness that you cannot mar by any failure you discover about yourself. And because of all that, now we can look at your life and honestly... Examine it, because none of what you're going to find there prevents me from loving you, because I love you, and I died for you, and I saved you. Only the grace of God makes people honest. Only the grace of God makes me, only, the, only, the, only Christianity makes me willing and able to look and be overly scrupulous of my life, honestly, but not with scrupulosity. Does that make sense, what I mean by that? I don't want to. I don't want to use um, confusing words in a way that that isn't that doesn't make sense. In other words, the gospel doesn't lead me to this overbearing, nervous scrutiny of myself. But the gospel frees me to be able to look at myself honestly and without fear or threat. Or and here's where the rubber meets the road. 
to have you look at my life that way or to see my life that way or me to see yours and be able to go, do you know you might have a blind spot in this area? And in a sense, <clears throat> in, case, in case you weren't aware of it, I'm kind of doing that every Sunday. I'm saying to you, based on my interactions with humanity, you and I might have a few blind spots. And in Christ, you don't have to fear them because he doesn't condemn you for them. He heals you like he healed the man with the, will with the withered hand. You have a withered soul. You have a withered righteousness. And Jesus says, I'll heal you from that. If you honestly examine it, stand up in the middle of the room and hold out your hand, your witheredness, and I will heal it. That's the Christian gospel. A received rightness that humbles me and frees me to live powerfully by the law of love without scrutiny, bitterness, or fear. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing us the way, showing us the light and the truth about who you are and the difference between who you are and what we, thought, what we think you are. But you're not trying to make us more like the older brother. You're trying to make us more like the father who in grace loves and loves and loves. That our relationship to you is not based on activities or, or, or and our connectedness, our blessedness, our sense of favor, our sense of forgiveness is not based on anything that we accomplish, but it's only based on what you have accomplished on our behalf that the only person who does something is your son. And when he was done doing it, he said, it's finished. No more doing. Trusting, believing, embracing, resting. Of the power source for transforming the world and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.